Welcome to the show where three friends rate, debate, and investigate the films you'll love to see and hate to see. This is You'll Love to See It. Welcome back after a one-week hiatus, so you'll love to see it. I am here today with my two friends, Eric Zhu. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> and Caleb Brunman. Good day, Zach. How, how are you guys doing today? It's been it's been an extra long period since we've seen each other. Um, extra long. Extra, extra long. And we have a special episode today um, where we're going to be doing one movie but then actually spending most of the episode talking about the Oscars, which are, Eric, when are they? Next Sunday? I think they're next Sunday. Next Sunday. All right. And, you know, we could have waited until next Friday, but we just felt like, you know, why not, uh, why not talk early enough about the Oscars just so we give ourselves some more time, you know, really, you know, stir the pot for the next week. Um, but we do have a movie for the week. Before we get there, we have an intro question, actually, for the week uh, that has to do with the Oscars, which is, in your opinion, what is one of the biggest, most recent snubs in the Oscars? So I'll start. Um, mine has to do with, I believe, um, I don't necessarily know how, I think, so it was a 2019 film, which means it would be the 2020 Oscars, right? Last year's Oscars. And that was the fact that The Farewell had zero nominations, uh, despite, in my opinion, being one of the best movies of the year. I mean, first of all, come on, no supporting actress love for the grandma. Like, that was yeah. like iconic and not even that i mean i i think you can make a case for even best leading actress i don't necessarily remember off the top of my head what all you know how stacked the categories were but the fact that the farewell earns no nominations and like i don't i didn't see the best picture nomination list right like recently um i know some that were nominated and like it should you know parasite won obviously and, and should should have but the fact that it didn't get one of the 10 nominations is pretty crazy to me. I don't know necessarily what the last couple films were that snuck in, but yeah, I don't know. I know it's a more recent snub, but I really like The Farewell, and I think it's still in my top five, definitely top 10 of, um, of last year. So the fact that it did not earn any, or I guess 2019, my bad. The fact that it didn't earn any nominations is uh, pretty crazy. I don't know. Um, I mean, what's crazy is like Aquafina won Best Actress at the Golden Globes, and then she did. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah the, so. the film had won what you know was nominated for at least definitely got a lot of awards. awards. It's kind of crazy that it didn't get any nominations, like not even something. I don't know. Yeah, crazy. Um, mine. My first one's gonna be general. I mean, Kelly <laughs> Riker made four movies in the past ten years and didn't get a single directing nomination. Uh, but, um, I'm just going to keep it short. Ethan Hawke in First Reformed. He wasn't nominated? 
Yeah, or even better, Oscar Isaac and Inside Lewin Davis. Wait, I knew Oscar Isaac wasn't nominated because you talked about this. I know Ethan Hawke wasn't nominated, wasn't didn't win it because uh, Matthew McConaughey won it. But right, that was the year Matthew McConaughey won. Uh, right? Maybe that was Buyers yeah. Club. It was I think that's there. what it was. But he wasn't even nominated for. I haven't seen First yeah. Reformed yet. It's on our. I think we're doing it right as part of our 2010s marathon. Uh, watching, I, are we not? We'll, we'll get to it. I think we'll get to it. Okay. Well, yeah, that's crazy. That it wasn't nominated. Weird. All right. Um, as far as recent snubs go, and because on this podcast. I think for almost every movie, we, we go into the music a little bit. So I'm going to dive into the biggest, best score snub of this decade, or the past decade, I should say. First Man, Justin Hurwitz, didn't even receive a nomination for that masterpiece. I mean, speaking of snubs... The Duke of Burgundy score was number one on my Spotify. <laughs> my Spotify wrapped and it didn't get nominated. So what year was that? 2018. Caleb. So yeah. Are you kidding me? It was like Black Panther, Black Panther one. one. Yeah. Also nominated Black Clansman, If Beale Street Could Talk, Isle of Dogs, and Mary Poppins. Rupert None of those Harris. scores. <laughs> None of those scores. None of those scores are better. Than the score for first man though absolutely right yeah they're not i listen one that i have Beale any so memory of now the way i can tell you that from my personal experience no, Black I, or... I here's what i'm going to say though was it good was it a good score maybe but which score do i still listen to literally every day like that song pops up in my playlist every day it is first man that it's, I mean, the, 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 the one song in particular when they're going the like five, six minutes where they're going to the moon. Oh my gosh. Like, dude, how can you, how did that not receive even a nomination? Yeah. I actually didn't know that. First man just didn't really take, take off. Nice. Yeah. People, people, people really, you know, what's yeah. funny is people really hated first man. And I was told when I actually watched it on a plane, which was a great experience and people were like, don't watch this movie. Um, I know Socket hates the movie and like everyone was like, do not watch this film. It is a terrible space movie. That's because everyone thought it was going to be this crazy space movie, even though at least the people I was friends with. And then I went in there, I watched it and I was like, this is a phenomenal film. I mean, not only do you have a great score, but I mean, is there, yeah, it's a biopic. So it has the typical biopic, maybe tropes and issues. But I mean, also the fact did was what's his face nominated was, um, I think, I, I think it must have gotten like pretty much close to zero nominations, maybe like a technical nom somewhere. Wow. I mean, that is, that's kind of yeah. crazy to me. That's, that's kind of crazy to me. I mean, whew, I mean, I don't year, know about that, man. I mean, oof, I would have thought Ad Astra got, was disqualified, right? Yeah. Remember because they well, used, they used I mean, to a hidden life, like a hidden life has such a good score. Yeah. I don't know. Dang. That is some, that is a big one. That might be the biggest one, actually, that I think that the more I think about it, I mean, like, whew, I don't know, man. All right. Well, let's get into our movie um, before 
we uh before we start talking the 2020 oscars or 2021 oscars um and yeah caleb would you like to uh introduce the film of the week this week we'll be discussing shiva baby where we follow danielle uh, a college student about to graduate who doesn't know what she's going to do with his life uh (laughs) <laughs> okay. maybe i'm projecting myself i'm gonna, I'm gonna I don't wanna, I about, whoa all right who doesn't <laughs> yeah all right uh who doesn't know what she's going to do with her life um uh, and at this shiva she has to deal with uh her parents who are on her case uh, relatives who are very curious and prodding uh an old ex-girlfriend and and her sugar daddy who also brought along his wife and uh, and their daughter uh so she has to navigate this very prickly situation while uh realizing increasingly quickly that she is finding herself lost in the world and all the while they're eating bagels and locks and uh, saying the mourner's cottage. Yeah, I, Eric and I were talking a little bit before we were, I was like, Eric, what do you think, like, like, how would you define what this movie is in a general term? And that is, you know, it's an indie, what would you say, coming of age kind of film, right? I mean, is that, I mean that's kind of essentially comedy if you- if you thriller sort of deal. Yeah, like- comedy horror, do the horror part is very real. Um, I mean, it's a short film. It's short in the standards of today. It's only what seventy-one minutes, seventy something. It's seventy-five. Seventy-five. Yeah, it's it's short. And it, I mean, I I didn't think it was short. I thought it was perfect. I I I think it was one of the movies in a long time that I walked out feeling like I walked out like I saw this in a theater. I mean, it was in my room. I didn't move anywhere. Um, but I stepped away and was like, that was a perfect length. And had it been any longer, I probably would have lost interest. Um, or like it probably would have lost some steam, but I think it was at the perfect length for me um, to really contain itself. Yeah, there's a lot I want to talk. There's a lot we should talk about. I mean, speaking of scores, I kind of want to get your opinion on the score because um, I've I've seen a lot of different ideas or different opinions on that. Um, How important, I mean, okay, so for clarification, I'm gonna mess this up because I'm dumb. It's a is it Shiva? Yeah, a Shiva, a Shiva. Okay, what is a Shiva? It's like a few like a funeral, like a Jewish funeral, like post funeral. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, so that's uh, <laughs> Caleb. <I'm, laughs> just for the record, for the audience, I, I it feels like I'm gonna be targeting Caleb with questions. Like he's like <laughs> like he's the book on. Um, you know, what it is to be Jewish, maybe because, you know, Caleb, you are Jewish. Um, but um, do you think, I'm kind of curious, like, do you, I, this is a two-part question. Do you think the fact that, I was going to say the backdrop, backdrop, but it's not really a backdrop. Do you think the, that it's Jewish is a big part of the film? Like, do you think if this was a, if there was a Christian family getting together for a funeral, or post funeral, do you think it would be much different? I'm just wondering what you think. Yeah, I think I, what Eric thinks. 
religion is is a big part of this not to say that any other religion couldn't have this particular set of circumstances i think the the overall plot uh isn't rooted in religion but definitely the specifics of the interactions uh and especially the humor are are jewish uh yeah and it's there's no escaping that it's it's definitely uh, integral to the story have you ever been to a shiva before uh i have been fortunate fortunate enough to i think uh once when i was very young uh, okay okay and then since then i've been fortunate enough 18 to... months old yeah out to the baby okay i was just wondering i mean i guess i was just wondering how <laughs> i guess this is a, probably a very dramatic interpretation i was just wondering how accurate in some ways this 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 is you know um yeah i mean as far as uh <laughs> as far as as i mean i like i said i haven't been to many shivas but as far as uh, like jewish reunions go uh can definitely uh sympathize with 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 danielle and you know she's like one of the youngest people there and and all the adults are asking you know what what's going on and like offering to you know find her jobs or stuff uh or like little things to do definitely get asked to help you know help with food and and tasks uh while the adults are are talking and uh, just the the specifics of uh, of the conversation uh the the intonations are are really spot on uh, <laughs> and yeah and i think it definitely made it a more a more um relatable experience yeah like relatable uh-huh immersive yeah i think you know even then i don't think you know you have to be Jewish or uh, to obviously connect with the film. I, you know, it, I just was curious kind of from your perspective, if, if you thought it was like, you know, um, but I, I even found myself obviously connecting and I'm sure Eric did too, um, to a lot of, I mean, just like the idea, first of all, family reunions are both com uh, comedic, but also a horror in themselves. And <laughs> I, I think the film did a really good job of, of showing that. Um, I, I loved all the letterbox reviews. I, I didn't read too many that just talked about how this was, um, how this was uncut gems for, uh, for bisexual women. Um, and that was the funniest things I saw. Uh, but you know what? I have to admit, I'm not going to say it's comparable to uncut gems, but I did have that feeling of like anxiety and like she kind of did remind me a lot of Howard in some way, not maybe in a very different way, but just like, I don't know. They're not super likable, especially right away. And then you eventually just kind of tend to relate to her more as she goes through everything. And you really like feel the anxiety throughout the entire, like it was, I'll be honest. There were moments where I was like, I had to look away from the screen for a minute. I don't know. What did you guys think about that? Yeah. I think there's definitely intentionality in having her be relatable would also not be the most um, likable. I mean, for one thing, I saw there was a letterbox to be pretty highly rated that was like, like way to make the entire Shiva where like someone died, like about yourself. Like, like there is that aspect to it. But I, I think it, at the end of the day, like 
in terms of the situation she was put in, she is very much so, I think, a victim. And I think like putting us into her headspace, like is very humanizing, I guess. Um, I think something else I definitely was thinking about, like, I, I mean, I think Emma Seligman, the director, like does a really good job of like isolating her within within the frame. Like there are a lot of shots, like yes. when she's first, like picking up the food and then putting it back, like, um, and it's held, God be for like a minute almost. Every single other person's head is cut off from the screen and like not in focus, like stuff. There's a lot of stuff like that. Um, I think there's also something to be said about the fact that there's on one hand, like the way everyone else in this movie is portrayed is very, makes her very isolated, but it's also, I don't know if you guys got this, but I definitely got the sense that it's almost like a zombie movie. Like everyone around her is like sort of this like mindless zombie, like conforming to some sort of social order of like social pipeline of getting a job, finding a man or whatever that she just does not relate to. And I was definitely, that was definitely something I was curious about. Like there's an isolation aspect to it, but there's also like a, I don't know, like, is there like, is there like a demeaning aspect to that? Like, I, I don't think, I don't think the everyone else is portrayed negatively. I think it's a pretty like comedic sort of like tongue in cheek depiction of them, but I definitely thought there was like a zombie, like do they really have independent thought sort of angle to it too? Yeah, I didn't think, I, yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I thought there was both the tongue in cheek, like you said, but I also did feel, I thought it was a little, I thought it was critical is the word I would use. I definitely thought it was critical in some sense. I don't know if my mind immediately went to, you know, zombie-like, but you know, I think that now that you say that, I'm like, you know what, that kind of does you know, work. Yeah, like they're all sort of clueless. They're like, like when, she, um, when Danielle and Maya are like um, making out, it, out next to the side of the house and they have all those shots of everyone else not noticing, sort of droning on, or like all the, like the really serious yeah. moments where people are just sort of coming up like, or they just keep showing up out of nowhere, saying the same sort of the same sort of lines that we've been hearing. It it definitely reminded me sort of a zombie like. I think that's the more subtle horror part of the horror aspect of this film. I think obviously the suffocation isolation is very noticeable. The way the score comes in at very suffocating times, which you know I you know I saw some people say that they really didn't like it because they thought it was like a very easy way to you know you know scores can sometimes be a crutch to build tension rather than just naturally building tension um you know we can delve into that a little bit more but i i i, I think I, I agree with what you said it i was very aware of the constant for me the way i i relate to that most is i was very aware of the constant amount of people always around and the, the lack of space which is funny because for class i just watched the invisible man recently and I, yeah, it's funny, um, you know, which we've done an episode about, but you know, that movie is all about empty space. And this movie I feel like was about the lack of that empty space. Like so much, there was like nowhere to go. There was just this suffocating. And, you know, and the more I think about it, like for, like for instance, the popping out out of nowhere, like there was that like kind of jump scare moment where the guy knocks on the bathroom door, she comes out and then he like comes in from the side and like scares her. There's definitely, there's something off. Yeah, there's something off about everything. And, you know, that's why I also wonder, does that have to do with the size of the reunion? Does it have to do with the characters? Or does it also have to do with, 
you know, like, like the Jewish background, like, and how people interact. I don't know. I, my family reunions are much different than, than that. They're still horrible in some way, um, but they're very different, I guess. And I wonder how much of that is maybe cultural as well. I don't know. Yeah, I think the the presentation of the, you know, of the conversations is very stereotypical in in its content. Uh, but I think I think that that adds to uh, Eric's point because I think it is intentional and, and it and it seems like everybody except Danielle is like going through the motions uh, while she's you know trying to kind of break out of this rut that she feels, you know, trapped in. Everybody else is so comfortable with where they are that they don't even try to escape that and in, in, in doing so kind of push Danielle back into the place which she's trying to escape. Uh, and so in that sense, I think it is a little zombie-like because there is no effort to be human it's it's like it's like they're programmed it's you know zombies are are programmed to you know eat the humans and and these people are just programmed to have these conversations that they've just they've really just been trained to do this and it's so uh you know it's so uninspired that you know it sets up a really nice dichotomy with with danielle who you know is actually actively thinking for herself yeah and this you know there's so much um i i you know i'm curious what you guys think about just the writing in general um you know there were some very witty lines in there my favorite happened to be the one where she's like you know that's pretty um what did she say like pretty misogynistic for someone who's going to be eventually leading a woman's march or something like that there's some funny lines um I, I'm wondering what you guys think about the writing in general, you know, like how deep it really is. I mean, there's definitely, it was very relatable in some ways, you know, you guys, you know, we were talking about the, you know, going against the grain in terms of, you know, Danielle doing something different with her life. And there were constant conversations about her major and what she's doing and things like that, which is probably very relatable for us. But um, I mean, with a film that, takes place in 99% the same house. There's not too much going on. You would think the writing has to be very strong to make it work. And do you guys think it was? I like the writing a lot. I, I thought for one, I, I thought it was, I found a lot of it really funny. I found a lot of it flowed really well, just like rhythmically. Um, I also think that there were just so many juicy moments where like everyone was like thinking different things they're trying to make everyone else think that like they were they're trying to put on a mask while also like trying to like send a message to a specific like like for example like that's like that first time where danielle's mom um danielle's mom takes danielle to meet um dad <laughs> mac yeah, Cy Abelman, and uh, and also um, her the sugar daddy Max, and you see um, you see them talk about like her major and whatever, and her like first like 
she is majoring in like gender and women's studies, but she's told Max that um, she is in business school, they're about to go to law school. And you see the confusion on all of their faces as she tries to like say something that conforms to both of these people's understandings of her. And you see that repeated again and again, but it never manages to feel like it's the same conversation every time. I, I definitely felt like the conversations got more and more intense and more and more cramped up until that very last moment when they're all just like hilariously squishing that little car. I, I <laughs> that's that, that was a nice ending. There's a lot of dramatic irony in this film. I mean, constantly situations where you know a little bit more than obviously you know, you, you found out kind of the reality of, of Danielle and Max doesn't know. And, you know, you, you, there's, there, I, I really do like a lot of the dynamics between, you know, Max and Danielle, I think was very strong. I have a little bit of an issue with the relationship between Danielle and Maya that I kind of want to get to eventually. And it's more, I guess, with how it ends, but I, I don't think that's, I don't know if it's really a criticism as much as a more, not 100% convinced of how it works out. I like the dynamics between her and her mom. You know, there's, I think there's a lot of these dynamics that are pretty, you know, pretty thoroughly explored. What do you think, Kayla? What is, what is your opinion on that? Yeah, I, I agree with your original statement that, you know, for a movie like this to succeed, the writing has to be very strong. And I don't think it was. I think it was good uh i agree with eric that it flows very nicely um but i i think there i think there's a double i think that i think the fact that there is this zombie type feeling is a double-edged sword it 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 does distinguish uh danielle in the world that we're shown but it also makes hollow uh, a lot of the conversation that she uh, endures with with all these people, especially when they're repeated over and over, and she keeps running into people who are saying these same things. So I, I understand how that you know uh, culminates thematically, but literally, I think it, it it provides some some empty moments. I don't think it's the screenplay is super, super sharp. Again, there are some, there are some nice lines. Uh, keep talking about how skinny she is compared to when she was younger. And then there's that line about Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, uh, yeah on food stamps. Gwyneth yeah, Paltrow Gwyneth food Paltrow stamps. on food stamps, but not. It, there's some wit. There's some wit. I, yeah, you know, I, sure. I see what you're saying. It, it, I definitely see what you're saying. And it's, I like the way you said that, that you thought the writing was good. But I also, yeah, I'm, I'm agreement with the fact that for a film like this, is it an unfair requirement? I don't know if it's unfair, but it's just a reality. When you are stuck in one space, not much is happening. Plot-wise, you have to have very meaningful, very strong dialogue, writing. And I do see the counter to what you're saying in terms of like, Eric, you know, if, these, if all these other people are zombies, then you know, these kind of repetitive conversations don't do much more than to just reinforce something that we've already kind of figured out, which is that these people are zombies and she is kind of the only one that's kind of sticking out, you know, rather than like having characters that have depth, depth to them, you do get more one-sided 
Do you feel like there's depth to any other character besides Danielle, or do you feel like Danielle is really the only character that sticks out in any meaningful way? Um, I think because a lot of the other characters we have de- don't really have depth, but I the one that I really really wanted to know more about was the wife Diana Agron's character, especially because it's yes. implied that she entered this relationship sort of in the same way that um, that Danielle has. I, I think yeah. it's implied that they met through sort of the same sugar daddy sort of situation. Um, and I wish more was explored with their relationship. Um, I, th- I really think this is more of a like singular Danielle, like subjective experience sort of movie. It reminded me, like we were talking about Uncut Gems. I think the one that this really reminded me of, um, our friend Nicholas Jensen said mother, but I also definitely got a lot of like punch drunk love in this movie, just um, in how just like zeroed in on one specific personality and how how much just like cramped, like also formal, formally like injected tension there is. Um, yeah, I, I wish I wish we'd gotten more of the life. And that's not to say that a singular focus is always a bad thing. In fact, I I enjoy it, but I also can still recognize that kind of maybe this is what what Caleb is saying. I don't want to put the words in his mouth, but it it makes a lot of other interactions feel meaningless ultimately. My biggest my biggest example of this idea of like some you know this the relationship kind of feeling meaningless is that with Maya. And I understand there's a lot of supposed to be like background that we don't know completely. And they really don't have that many interactions together, especially early on. The interactions are very much like you're a bitch, no, you're a bitch, you know, like type interactions. But I think, and then ultimately they kind of, they, you know, they make out for a little bit and then in the car ride, they hold hands, which I understand is supposed to be this sweet moment. And I kind of felt that, but I also just was like, I don't like, what's like I kind of felt like Maya was completely an asshole the entire film to Danielle um you know like I mean she literally at one point calls her a whore to her face which I understand you know they have a relationship history and everything and I think it's just like it felt weird to me for like the relationship that had probably only had about 10 minutes of real screen time maybe less to like completely come back around from being like hating each other to then and I understand it's complicated right they didn't actually completely hate each other and then in the end they're not necessarily back together I don't know does that make sense I just I wasn't completely I think that for me was the one example of like or the perfect example of like this hollowness that was like supposed to be more but like ultimately didn't end up being more for me yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I definitely don't think I really deeply felt the relationship, but I, I saw what they were going for just in her coming to this understanding of um, Danielle's situation. And I guess perhaps like Danielle's um, sort of resentment of the path that Maya is on. Um, I, I think it sort of goes back to just what we've talked about this entire thing with this like zombie sort of deal. Like, it's it's double-edged in the sense that it makes everything else hollow in a way that's 
sort of demeaning, but at the same time, it is sort of indicative of Danielle's internal state of feeling really oppressed by these values that are being placed upon her. Right? Honestly, the more I think about it, the more I like it, just because it does work in both ways. Um, yeah, I understand that. Um, and I, I think their relationship works the exact same way. It's those two coming to, the end of the movie is just sort of those two coming to some sort of understanding that says that like both interpretations are sort of true and they're like seeing, but they're like, they've at the end when they hold hands, like both of them sort of seeing some side of the other. I think but it, I, like, I do agree that it isn't very deeply felt for me. I even felt like the, the relationship between the daughter and the mother was more fully fleshed out and had more weight to it. I felt like even the relationship between her and Max, which was obviously way more emphasized, had more weight to it. But my biggest issue was just kind of more with Maya. It didn't feel like there was a lot of weight to that relationship. So the ultimate like ending shot of their hands touching didn't really do much for me in that regard. Yeah, I think their yeah, their relationship is the most convenient uh in the movie, I think. Um like Maya kind of pops up when the script needs a little jolt. Um and yeah, I think it's it's a little inconsistent and it's it's hard to uh so it's it's inconsistent and yeah maya just takes the script in in new directions each time she shows up uh which i think contributes to the difficulty uh that i think we we all have in really connecting with the relationship she shows up when when there's some new energy needed when when you feel like there needs to be some twist in the action and that twist doesn't always feel uh, authentic. And so by the end, you know, any sort of uh, deep reconciliation is going to be tinged with that convenient feeling, which is going to, of course, undermine the emotional response. Yeah, well, I guess we should probably we should probably get the final thoughts um, just because we do have a lot to go through with the Oscars. Um, but is there anything you guys go with just going straight to that? Yeah, giving our final thoughts. OK, yeah. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I guess I'll start. You know, I really I might have felt some, you know, I just kind of spent the last 10, 15 minutes talking about that relationship issue I had, maybe some of the hollowness that, you know, Caleb and Eric brought up, which didn't really necessarily change my opinion, but more so, I, I, you know, I think it's interesting to see how other people also feel about things, which is obviously part of the reason we do this. Um, but I ultimately really like this movie. I, I have to say that, like, I ultimately really love it. And it also just checks off some boxes for me. Um, I just tend to really like movies that are like this, that are deal a lot with you know a experience like this very what can be considered mundane but you know obviously very dramatized and important in some regard um i think the actress who played danielle um i can't remember her name off the top of my head did a did a very good job um and i i personally enjoyed the score as well i love the kind of comedy horror you know meshing that happens i really felt a lot of the isolation and things like that um 
And overall, I, I think that uh, I would give this movie four stars. So. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, I thought this movie was a lot of fun, very stressful, but a lot of fun. And I, I think it really does come down to how culturally specific it is. I think that's where a lot of the comedy come from, comes from. I think that's where a lot of the authenticity comes from. Um, I thought it was also just like, more really just like very thrilling, like very fast paced, very stressful. Um, also gonna give it four stars. Wow, all right. Um, yeah, I think overall, this is a pretty surface level movie. Uh, and I don't think that is the goal. I think this is a movie that builds and builds and builds. And that's, it doesn't build to anything that I think is going to endure in the end. That's going to last in my memory. It spends this whole time just kind of growing into something and then you're expecting this big, you know, reveal or this, you know, big resolution at the end and, and it never really comes. And it's it's okay for, for a movie, of course, to, you know, have a quieter, more subtle, nuanced ending. But I, don't know, the, I feel like, this is a movie that deserves something bigger at the end. And because it didn't, I think it reflects on the, on the whole thing and makes it all feel just, you know, a little superficial. Uh, so I don't think this is a movie that's going to last in my memory very long, um, but along for the ride, it's certainly an enjoyable experience. So I give Shiva Baby three stars. All right. Well, let's uh, let us get to the Oscars. Um, we got a kind of a couple of these first categories. I think there won't be too much discussion just because they're pretty not that they're not important, but, um, you know, we might have seen less of them and might have less strong opinions about them. Um, so, yeah. Um, where do we want to start then? I guess we have our little notes, Eric. Um, you didn't fill in the ones for. Well, unless you meant to, I can't tell if that's supposed to be for film editing. Um, oh, I filled them all in. Um, oh, the film editing. Oh, editing. I did forget to put in editing. Okay. I mean, I, you know, we can, I can just look at, I have it pulled up. So um, yeah. So some of these will kind of probably breeze through so we can get to the kind of more meatier ones. Yeah. Um, so the first one is film editing. Um, the nominees are The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. So, yeah, I mean, this is, we're just going to be pretty informed about this, you know, kind of what we want to win, what we think will win, maybe. I can't, we could talk about snubs. I don't really know any snubs for film editing personally. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'll start by just saying something that I, I, I think might be a shared opinion here. But I, I think what I would want to win would be the father personally for, for film editing. I think um, I think the other films on here, granted, I have not seen Sound of Metal, um, are, are, are good films in my opinion. And, you know, the only other one that really stands out for me in terms of film editing would be Nomadland, which I also do think will, will probably win. 
But I think if the father was going to win an Oscar, I think it'd be for this. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Is that yeah. what you got? What one is? Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I would. I would definitely want the father of the nominees, and I think of any movie I saw this year, I don't remember a movie, not necessarily that was better edited, but where editing really made such a big impact. Oh and yeah. That's got to be the distinguishing factor in choosing a winner for this category. Yeah. Eric, you, you think the same thing. Do you guys think it's going to win it? I, I, I don't no. know. There's Everywhere no I've looked, have seen, have, I've seen the predictions say Nomadland, um, which I'm not going to say was a poorly edited. I mean, obviously it was edited well, but that's not what sticks out to me about Nomadland. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's a great movie. It's one of my yeah. favorite movies of last year. But like, I don't think Nomadland and think the film, the editing was just crisp. But literally the father, the editing is so vital to the feeling and idea of the movie that without it, the movie would be so much worse if not completely different you know mm-hmm. so I, I thought we would probably be in agreement on that but uh hey you never know you never know yeah. right i would have loved to see some of the docs on here yeah like, do they not usually nominate docs pretty well edited and time especially is about like um uh like a family where um the father uh, gets a prison sentence that's like grossly, like unjustly long. And a lot of it is about editing back, editing through like, um, editing through like old home video footage, like to convey like the idea of the time that's lost. And I, I thought that was very well edited and probably deserved a nomination, but alas. You know what else I will say? This might be controversial, but personally, just because I like, I don't know when I I'm not trying to be mean to all these editors. It's just like when I think Promising Young Woman, I think the drop Chicago Seven. I'm not really thinking it, film editing, but a movie that I know won't win a lot of Oscars, if any, that might have might have deserved the nomination is Tenant. I really thought that that could have been. I mean, I don't. I mean, that's a good example of a movie that was probably in some ways saved by its editing. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's not editing. Maybe it's more direct, or I don't know what it would be considered, but. I guess, alas. All right, All right. let's. What do you think is going to win, Zach? Oh, I mean, I I think Nomadland is going to win. Eric. Um. I think, I think Nomadland could win. I don't know. I know Gold Derby is predicting Sound of Metal. Um, okay. Probably, probably one of those. What do you think, Caleb? Uh, I think. I think Chicago 7 actually does have some nice editing sequences, but even though I haven't seen it, I don't, I don't, I don't think I, I have seen Chicago 7. I think it has some nice editing sequences, but I don't, uh, I, I don't think they're strong enough to guarantee victory. So even though I haven't seen Sound of Metal, uh, I would pick that because it's, that's the music movie. Um, so I would, I would, it, where everything else either disappoints or is unlikely to win like the father, I would go with the safer <laughs> choice with the music. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go next to um, writing adapted screenplay. So the nominations for writing adapted screenplay, adapted screenplay, or 
our Borat um, subsequent movie film. I, I think I heard that at the Oscars, they have to read the whole title of the film. So I can't wait to see them read out the entire title. So Borat, um, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. Um, yeah, so adapted screenplay, the one that I saw most likely to win this was, was um, Nomadland again. Was what I saw from some predictions and or and or one night in Miami. Um, I don't really know. I feel personally I can't really judge adapted screenplay when it's like I haven't read the original source, so I'm like I don't really know what to say. So I guess Nomadland would be a good winner. Um, I don't <laughs> one night in Miami. I don't think should win it just because I have a feeling personally I would enjoy the play better than the than the film and so you know i don't know what do you guys think um i haven't seen the white tiger i've heard good things but honestly i'd love to see borat win this i feel like that's my favorite one out of these i i think nomadland is probably a pretty deserving winner out of this category and it's the most i feel, I feel like, like the most borat, safe like, winner you know what i'm saying like it's probably like uh, a very safe choice i feel like borat has a lot of character work going on that would have been probably pretty hard to adapt into all the like uh yeah. like tags they're pulling off so I, I appreciate that and i like the character pretty weak category here uh i think the e- if it was my vote the easy choice is the father even though i think the father really works because all of its elements combine also well as i think it's a good screenplay very good uh, it's not it, the screenplay alone doesn't blow me out of the water, uh, but I still think it's it's better than anything else here. But I'll go with a slight underdog pick and say that I think the winner will be One Night in Miami. Over no, yeah, you know that's it's definitely very possible, honestly. All right, so next writing original screenplay, we have the nominees as Judas and the Black Messiah. Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. So personally, I guess I would say that from what I've seen, I think some sites are pretty split. I've seen The Trial of the Chicago 7 being pretty high up there. Um, I I think, I mean, I really enjoy The Trial of Chicago 7, um, and I think it would probably be a good choice. I'm also a little bit tempted to say Minari, that was would be the two that was those would be the two that I would want. Um, I think Chicago Seven will probably win it. Um, I don't really like any of these to be honest. Um, I think Promising Young Woman is gonna win. You think so? Yeah. Um, uh, which one I want to win? Uh. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, it's not a great. It's not a great. I, I'm gonna go with Judas. I I'm gonna go with Judas. Sh- sure. I I really <laughs> think promising young woman, Minari, and Trial of Chicago Seven are really just like not very good screenplays at all. It, in terms of, I mean, Minari and Promising Young Woman have both have very very clear issues, but. Yeah, who would you pick uh, overall outside of the nominees? I mean, 
I mean, I mean, well, I'm well, setting you up here. Eric. No, we missed it. We missed it. We missed it. Oh, first oh, cow is an adapted true. screenplay. Adapted. First cow is adapted. Oh no! And it wasn't. It wasn't even nominated. No. That's no. ridiculous. Okay. I mean, the nest. <laughs> All right, and there we go. Um, yeah, I'm, I apologize to the adapted screenplay category for calling it weak. Um, yeah. whew. I guess I would go with Judas as well from this group, who I would want to win out of these five. Um, with Eric, I think the winner will be Promising Young Woman, which you can oh listen God. to our episode on Promising Young <laughs> Woman. Um, uh, but overall, the, the clear winner, of course, is Shithouse. Uh, yeah. But Oh, yeah, that's true. That should be true. I forgot that was technically. That will never yeah. get nominated. Because, no, it will not. Because the Oscar hates good movies. All right, now moving on to cinematography. Uh, cinematography, we're going to go through these next couple real quick, and then we'll end You know, the final big six. Um, so cinematography, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, News of the World, Nomad Land, and Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, Eric, do you want to start? Um, I think Nomad Land's going to win. I I would probably also choose Nomadland. Um, I really don't think this is a very strong category either. But I, I feel like Nomadland falls into a very almost traditional like 2010s Terrence Malick sort of style, like beautiful landscapes, like Emmanuel Lebesky's sort of style thing. Um, if I had to choose my favorite like cinematography work first cow like that's what should have been nominated and won but i'll say that i'm very happy with this i think nomadland is going to win i think it deserves to win in my opinion i think it's a very very beautiful movie yeah so. i think mank looks good it's i feel like that's more of a production you know and what's funny is i've seen mank as some predictions um but i really think i really think it's going to be nomadland yeah i think it's going to be No Man Land as well. I think Mank might come close. Uh, could be a could be a sneaker. You know? Yeah, they they love. Well, I guess if Fincher is it's a big enough name, and I don't think Mank is going to win any big awards. I think this is this mm. is the biggest award that. Did Romo win best cinematography? Sorry, I I, just... I think so. Uh, but yeah, I think this is the biggest award that Mank has a real shot at. So. Yeah, watch out for me. All right, international feature film. Um, the options are Another Round, Better Days, Collective, The Man Who Sold His Skin, and I'll be honest, Eric, I don't know how to pronounce this last one. I think it's Quovadis Ida. Okay, Quovadis Ida. Um, I've seen one of these films. I don't feel very qualified, but for some reason, I actually saw that people thought Another Round was going to win. Um, Another round is the one that has the most buzz. It's by the biggest name director. It has That's the fair. biggest stars that are like transnational stars. I, I've only seen two of them. I've heard Quovada's that is really good. I think Collective is fairly good as well. I, I don't feel qualified to say, but I, I would say my personal, like my personal preference is probably slightly Collective, um, which is about. Um, like this this fire that occurred in i think a romanian um shoot it's the it's the uh it's about the 
it's about a fire that occurred in Romania and then about how after the fire, numerous um, national like health scandals like caused a ton more people to die. Um, and I, I think it's pretty solid. Um, and so I'm going to go with that one. I don't yeah. feel qualified to say anything. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll just be another round. Yeah, another round is going to be pretty cut and dry. Um, but I don't know, Zach, what about Possessor? Canadian movie. Oh, was that this year? It wasn't even nominated? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it, I, I feel like that would go, go into personally. Best. Personally, if it was nominated, that would easily be my choice. I mean, um, are we counting? Shit, is The Nest international? Yeah, The Nest is international. So I guess that would be my choice. Yikes. Yeah, Possessor would definitely be my choice. I guess any of the Steve McQueen. I don't know. I don't think it was eligible, but any of the Steve McQueen stuff would have been a good choice. Too. Yeah. All right, documentary. Uh, we have Collective, um, Crip Cramp, The Mole Agent, My Octopus Teacher in Time. I've seen one of these again, and I will not ever say anything good about The Mole Agent. Therefore, I really hope I've won. I've been wanting to watch Time for so long. I'm going to get there. I think it's going to win anyways, because I've seen a lot of sites predict it. Um, so that gets my vote. <laughs> um, I've seen I've seen all of these at this point. I oh, my God, I've, I've been hearing people say that my octopus teacher might win, which would make me really sad. I have no desire to watch that um, film. I'll be honest. I would hope that you never have to. Um, I, I think time is far and away the best one here. Um, it would be tough. I, I think if, it's if, Johnson, if Dick Johnson is dead, we're in this list. It would be a tough choice. I would probably have to pick that. But again, a weird time is very non-nominee, very, very solid, and would be a worthy winner. Don't understand how Dick Johnson's not nominated. It's again not my cup of tea, but come on, the mole agent and my octopus teacher over Dick Johnson is dead. Don't know about that. Yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts. Um, it should be Dick Johnson, but if I had to choose a winner from this group, even though I've only seen the mole agent, I'll go with time because who doesn't love time? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're getting into the good ones, boys. We got actor, actress, supporting actor, actress, leading, directing, and best picture. Eric, would you like to do the honors of reading off the names? Because I'm terrible at uh, names. So yeah, if you want okay. to start with actor, actor. in a supporting role. Um, our nominees are Sacha Baron Cohen, Trial of Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya, Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. in One Night in Miami, Paul Racy in Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield in Judas and the Black Messiah. Let me just say that I think this is a strong category. I think it's pretty strong. I, I, I've seen four out of the five performances, and I think I could be convinced of three of the four of them. And I'm just going to say that it, it's got to be Daniel Kaluuya. Kaluuya. I don't know how to pronounce his name, I'll be honest. Um, I just butchered it. Um, for me, I, it's got to be him, personally. Um, I think out of this list, I think this is a pretty good list considering the year. I think out of this list, I like a lot of these performances. I, I think Lakeith Stanfield is my favorite. Um, Daniel Kaluuya is probably going to win. I think that's fine. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts. Yeah, Kaluuya will win. I think I would give it to Stanfield, but a very, very close second would be uh, Leslie Odom Jr. Yeah. Dude, Leslie Odom Jr. was one of the best parts of that film. 
And I also have to say, hey, Sasha Baron, part of that film. Sasha Baron Conan, not a bad nominee for the Trial of Chicago Seven. Like all things considered, are there better performances? Yes, but like for being there, like he, I, I really liked him in in uh, in Chicago Seven personally. Um, so, all right, Eric, actress in a supporting role, we got Maria Bakalova from Borat Two. We got Glenn Close in Hillbilly Elegy. Olivia Coleman in The Father, Amanda Seyfried in Mank, and Ye Jung Yoon from Minari. Let, uh, let's do per, let's do let's do like we'll go around and do our personals because I'm telling you right now, my personal, it was the best part of this film. Close second, I gotta say Olivia Coleman. You almost made it. You almost made it, Olivia Coleman. But uh, Yu Jung Yoon, I probably butchered that as well. That's it for me. I'm the favorite part of Minari, my my personal winner. Um, my favorite out of this list, honestly, is probably Maria Bakalova. I thought she was very good. I think Ye Jung Yoon is gonna win. Um, this is just a, just a weird race. I don't, I have no clue who's gonna win this one really, but I think Ye Jung Yoon has gotten the momentum recently. Yeah, if we're up to me, I think I would take you, Jung Yoon. Um, I think it's going to be a bit of a surprise. And I think that Glenn Close is going to take this one home. Yeah, I've heard of, see, this one is one that I, I think is, is Oh pretty... my God, if Olivia Coleman wins again, that would be... Dude, so I think this is one that's so going to be uh, pretty uh, close. You get it? Um, I, I, I've seen Maria Bakalova. But I really could see almost any of these. I don't see Amanda Seyfried. I don't know. I'm so bad with names, dude. I gotta get better with names. I don't see her winning for Mank. Um, and I don't see Olivia Coleman winning, but I, I wish she would because she honestly did it, you know. Yeah, I was weird because I feel like at a certain point it seemed like Amanda Seyfried was like a lock to win. You know, what's funny is like, yeah, I was reading an article about that and it was like, apparently she just like kind of didn't win some awards and the buzz like went way down. Glenn yeah. Close, too. There was a, I feel like like three or four weeks ago, everyone was saying Glenn Close was like a lock to win this award. And then she proceeded to lose like every single, like almost every single award. And it didn't go to a single certain person. It just went straight out to everyone else. So it's like weird. This is the weird, weird category. All right. The big the big four, Eric. Um, OK, Next is actor in a leading role. Riz Ahmed in Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins in The Father, Gary Oldman in Mank, and Steven Yeun in Minari. I think we know who's going to win it. Yeah. It's pretty much. Um, I haven't seen the film. Um, I really have heard that that was, I mean, he completely saved it. Um, or not even said, he was the reason for it being any good. Um, I'm obviously talking about Chadwick Boseman. I mean, every site, everything. I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've seen any other prediction. Um, and I, I, you know, I think it's also, you know, obviously it was very, very sad because this was the year of his passing too. So, you know, I'm not. I'm not saying he's only getting the award because he died. Uh, I, I've heard his performance in Mulroney's Black Bottom is is insanely good. Um, yeah, you know, I I I haven't seen Simon Metal either. Um, I think Riz Ahmed is right up there in terms of my 
estimation of these performances. I think this is a really strong group for this year. I think the only one that I think might not really deserve it is Gary Oldman and Mank. I I mean, I, I hate to keep harping on this, but... I'm okay. Um, he's, really already won, he's already won his Oscar. In the Nest would be right up there. Like, right up there maybe with my favorite leading performance of the year. I think Gary Oldman usually is the best part of any film he's in. And, like, I thought he did a great job in Mank, but I also don't Also, Del like... Orlando is a big snub. He's yeah. very good in The Five Bloods. But oh, dude, that's that's the film. Tangent. That's the film I'm watching for film this week, and so I'm gonna watch it tonight. Um, so, yeah, I think it's gonna be Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, it's, and, it's gonna be Chadwick, and it'll be very deserved. Yeah, you know, obviously, I I that the 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 motivation for me wanting to watch that movie is obviously his performance. So, Caleb, any yeah, other any thoughts? Tablets too. Any thoughts, Caleb? Yeah. Um. It's going to be Chadwick, um, but I would be happy to see Stephen Yoon or Anthony Hopkins win as well. What about Jude Law in the Nest? <laughs> I wouldn't vote for Jude Law in the Nest. Wow. That's sad. Eric, are you telling me I need to watch The Nest? I've been saying this for, I've been saying this for months. All right. All right. Let's yes. go on. Actress in a leading role. We got Viola Davis in Ma Rainey, Andrew Day in U.S. versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand in Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman. I'm interested to hear your guys' personal opinions. Um, I think the best performance on this list is either Frances McDormand or Viola Davis. Um, I think Carrie Mulligan should win. I think Carrie Coon in The Nest is an egregious snub. And we're probably yeah, the if we're on this list. Um, yeah, that, those are my thoughts. Caleb? Uh, yeah, on this list, I've actually only seen two of the movies, uh, Promising Young Woman and Nomadland. And of those two, I would go with Frances McDormand and Nomadland. And as shocking as it might be to hear, I would uh, put Carrie Coon on this list. Yes. That, that she, she gave a great performance despite that movie not uh, not being so swell. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Caleb, in the sense that I've only seen two, the same two movies. Um, I've heard good things about the other performances. I personally, as much as I really, really, God, love Nomadland, I would give it, I would personally pick Carrie Mulligan. Um, I, I really liked her performance in Promising Young Woman. Um, as much as I have issues with the film that we've talked about on our episode, I think it's like Nomadland to me is very powerful in, in so many ways where like Promising Young Woman, Carrie Mulligan is just easily the shining star in the, in the otherwise not completely shining movie. So I would probably give it to Carrie Mulligan personally. Cool. We're moving on to directing. Um, for directing, we got Thomas Vinterberg in another round, David Fincher from Mank, Lee Isaac Chung from Minari, Chloe Zhao from Nomadland, and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. We know who's going to win it, right? Chloe Zhao is going to win this. And, and she should, personally. I think she should. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think she should as well. I, I don't see, no offense, I just don't see another movie on this list 
that deserves it as much. I think he's like Chloe Zhao is like for directing has probably things like in a single festival like cycle has won the single most awards like for directing for a single movie for Nomadland. I think this is pretty much a lock. Um, I would have loved to see Kelly Reichard on here over. That's pretty crazy. Oh no, like a Vinterberg, a Fincher, or a Fennell. Yeah, um, I wonder how many of the of some of the nominees were nominated because of their name. <laughs> not to call anyone out in particular, but I'm not saying they don't deserve the nominee, but it's just like, I don't know. Personally, yeah. I think it's going to be Chloe Zhao. And I think that um, the uh, the betting odds for it are really, really in her favor. So, Yep, it's going to be Zhao. Um if I were to give it to anyone, I would choose Kelly Reichardt over Chloe Zhao. Let's fucking go. Can I ask you a question? What do you think is more of a lock? Because we're about to get to it. Do you think directing or best picture is more of a lock? Directing. Directing. Interesting. I think best picture is. Let's go through best picture. We got The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. I I think it's I think Nomad Land I think it's Nomad Land's race to lose, man. I think it would be shocking to me if it lost. Um. Yeah. I think between Nomad Land, it's probably gonna be Nomad Land. Probably between that trials, Chicago Seven. And I don't really think, or like maybe Minari. I feel like Minari's been getting a lot of momentum. I honestly think this is a pretty weak category. Um. I would say I only really like like three or four of these movies total out of this list. Um, if I had to choose, if I had to choose, I would probably choose Nomadland or Mank, to be honest. Nomadland so this. Those are the three that I think. Let me ask you, if you could pick any movie, like what do you think deserves best picture the most? Do you think it's, <laughs> is it, is it first cow? I'll give you, I'll give you one. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. You think if, if you had to like rank your top three, essentially best picture, like if you could pick the top three, um, would it be first count? Would Nomadland make the top three? That's what I'm kind of curious about. No. Really? I thought you really liked Nomadland. I'm kind of surprised. It would be first cow, Wolfwalkers in the nest. Interesting. Hey, like I said, animated movie only nominated for best picture three times. So, no. you know. All right, Caleb. Yeah, from this list, I would choose the father. Eric, you would not choose the father, even though you called this the best, best picture nominee. <laughs> box review at E underscore zoo. Uh, um, yeah, who, I mean, it's, it's definitely hard to pick against Nomadland to win uh, based on who the voters are, but I'll say that Minari is going to take this one home. Really? We, you know, I wish we were together so we could do a, like a betting sheet or like a, you know, make a drinking game out of it or something. Um, because I doubt I'm going to watch the Oscars. <laughs> I, I usually just don't like to sit down and watch commercials for like 75% of a, you know, anything. I'll probably just read it on Twitter as it pops up on my notifications but um, I would uh, I would be very surprised if if Nomadland didn't win this. And personally, 
Nomadland is my second favorite movie of the year. So, you know, best picture should be shit house. Look at that. First film ever made best picture winner. That's what I'm saying. Come on. It should be. (laughs) Yeah. My, my top three would be the father at three first cow at two. And then shit house to me is easily the best movie of the year. Yeah. Unfortunately, best picture never very rarely coordinates with um, best movie of the year. Um, I don't even know. I, I wonder, you know, it'd be interesting to look through, for instance, just the last 10 years at our personal best picture list or like our personal favorite movie and see how many of the years line up with the best picture. I guarantee it might be like none. For you, it'd be Birdman. For me, it might be, it might be zero for me. I would be shocked. I would honestly be shocked if the Oscars gave like one of our favorite movies best picture. I would, like in our lifetime again or something like yeah i don't know i mean i would be i mean it was close then this year if nomadland wins that would be pretty close um like parasite was probably pretty close pretty like as close as they'll get in a bit moonlight probably was very moonlight was very close as well i don't know what else did nomadland not win best picture i mean did wait wait did la la land not win best picture no oh it did for for a minute or two what one over La La Land? Moonlight. Oh, you know what's so funny is I was just watching Big Mouth and they literally referenced that in one of the episodes. They were like, they were like, they were like, people remember La La Land, but no one remembers Moonlight. <laughs> I think it's one of the kids said or something. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Damn, I was like, maybe we did find one. Yeah, I don't know if it lines up then. I don't think it does. It's um, kind of crazy. Well, those are the 2020 Oscars, um, 2021 Oscars. I don't know why I keep saying 2020. Um, kind of a weird year, you know. I, I think had 2020 gone how it was supposed to go, it might have been a strong year, honestly, or at least a somewhat. Maybe first how would have got some moms. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I would have. You know, there was a lot of movies that were supposed to come out this in 2020. I'm looking at you, Dune, um, and my boy, best director. Uh, would have probably got a nominee. Uh, so <laughs> I'm looking at Eric disappointed at what I'm saying probably right now. <laughs> um, but hopefully 2022 Oscars are a lot stronger. Um, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just learning slowly but surely that the Oscars are overrated. Um, there. There. <laughs> uh, maybe we need to, what we should do is we should just have an episode where we go through or not even an episode, we just figure out which Oscar year coordinates the best year, like the one where like the most deserving films were picked or most deserving performances were picked. You do like a rating system or something like that. I wonder like which Oscar year would we like we would agree with the most. Um, I guess last year wasn't too bad when Parasite won a bunch of stuff. You know, it was pretty, I think, common that we all wanted it to win certain things, I guess. But yeah, any uh, I guess any other thoughts for for twenty twenty one Oscars? Any other snubs? Any other thing? Anything you're looking looking towards or curious about? You've mentioned the nest several times. Um, I guess it I was mean, it not should have nominated first cow. That's the main thing. Yeah, um, zero was it zero nominations? Yeah. Do you think it has anything to do with how early in the year it was released? Does that have anything to do with it? Yeah, Kelly Record also just doesn't make very many. Um, Kelly Record just isn't someone 
who like makes Oscar movies, you know? Yeah. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. I yeah. Think I, I, probably as close as she's going to get um, in terms of that type of movie. Yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, like, I need to rewatch First Cow, and my first experience wasn't amazing with it, but I still don't understand. I can tell you several categories where I'm like, I could take out one or two nominees and slide in First Cow. Um, definitely seems weird, but I mean, you know, I guess that's just the politics of the Oscars. Um, um, I feel like it would have been, I know we talked about this movie on the podcast, I feel like it's sort of been forgotten about in terms of award season, but I did expect Never Rarely, Sometimes Always to play a factor in the award season. Yeah, I'm not too surprised I didn't get anything, but I guess, you know, honestly, I have a feeling too, just the fact of the COVID and how early on those movies were really just completely swept them under the rug, you know? Maybe that's just in general, maybe even if COVID wasn't a thing, movies that are, I'd love to see the, the uh, like the, if there's a correlation between how early a movie released and whether or not it's probably snubbed for an Oscar. Um but any other notable 2021 or I'm sorry, 2020 movies that, you know, were maybe snubbed or not, not really <laughs> present as you thought. <laughs> I hate you so much. Walkers, um, um, I would love to see it win, but it's going to lose to soul, sadly. You think so? Yeah. Are you surprised by the lack of Charlie Kaufman in anything? Nothing at all? Yes. Uh, I think he should have gotten the best directing nom. Uh, and yeah, I am surprised that he didn't get an adapted screenplay now. Yeah, it just seems weird to me. Nothing. Like, not a single category. I mean, I know it wasn't a very popular movie in sense of, like, I don't know. It just seems weird to me. I would have loved to see some, sp- like, a Spike Lee directing on, too, maybe. I thought he, yeah. I thought The Five Bloods was pretty, like, virtuosically directed. Yeah, um, I'm excited to watch it. But it got screwed, the small acts got put into the Emmys because Lover's Rock would be a lock for a lot of these. Um, Possessor, I think, should have been nominated, I wonder, for like maybe makeup. I don't know if it is um, or something. I just, I really like, Possessor was one of my favorite movies of 2020, personally. I just wish it would have gotten a little bit more love, if, if any love at all. Um, what about uh, Palm Springs? Best, pic- <laughs> best picture nominee? Um it did just win best editing at the um, at their um, union union awards. It won best editing. Hmm. It won best edited film of the year, I think. Eric, you know technically what movie came out in twenty twenty that was our first twenty twenty movie. What? Underwater. Oh yeah. <laughs> no nomination love for uh, Underwater. <laughs> no underwater. Uh, no love for uh, T J Miller exploding into a billion. Oh people. my god. Oh my god! I just or, or... Him. I, I actually just hate looking at him. <laughs> I hate that I just have to think about him. Uh, the uh, <laughs> the biggest tra- uh, tragedy is obviously no Invisible Man love at the Oscars, and that is how I will sign off. Um, not really. Um, well, I guess that's it. Uh, that those are the 2021 Oscar nominations and our one movie for the week. And next week we will start um, our 2010s. Uh, marathon, I think, right? Maybe we'll see. You'll know by next Friday <laughs> when, uh, when this comes out. But uh, for now, uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Adios.